The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with hosts Victoria and Adair Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here with her daughter Adair, a lifelong vegan and an actress, a playwright, and a stunt performer to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now let's get this party started. Here are your hosts, Victoria and Adair. Hey everybody, it is a gorgeous vegetable eating Wednesday here in the USA or wherever you are around the world. I'm Victoria Moran. And I'm Adair Moran. And this is Main Street Vegan. We're so happy to have you with us today. What's been going on with you, Adair? Oh, well, you sound very excited about this very dreary, rainy New York day. <laughs> I have love dreary, rainy days. I have, but I moved to London right out of high school, and I know we're all thinking about London now because the Olympics are going on, but I love this kind of weather. It takes me back to England, which was a really aspirational place for me to go and place to live, and a day like this is just delicious. That's probably because you don't have dogs to walk. Well, this is true. This is probably true. If I had a dog to walk, I guess I'd have to get him a little raincoat, but not shoes. I did see somebody this morning. The dog was wearing a raincoat and little ridiculous rain boots. Yeah, the little rain booties are pretty silly looking. They're kind of good in the winter because the salt will irritate the dog's paws and yes. protect against that. But in the summer, it's just kind of silly looking. Yes, well, I think some people consider dogs ex- Accessories, and that is one of the many changes in consciousness that needs to come about in society that beings are beings. They are. I know. I, I would hardly classify dogs in silly shoes as cruel or abusive. Not cruel or abusive, but the idea. I remember once a, a woman had purchased a dog at a pet store, and I was just surprised. I, I didn't know people that did that because the dogs come from puppy mills. It's a serious situation and widely reported on. And I just mentioned, well, perhaps you could have gone to a breed rescue and gotten the same kind of dog who really needed a home. And she looked at me and said, Victoria, I am not like you. And I'm left there. Well, I'm not saying you have to be like me. I just thought maybe you would like to save the life of a dog. Well, that's also a very simple, easy way to save a life. You weren't asking her to, you know, be a vegan or, or do anything difficult. Big. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, rescue dogs are just as good as store-bought dogs. Um, and I always recommend to people, I always recommend PetFinder.com. Yes. I love PetFinder. That is where I got both of my dogs. And um, it's great because you can just search if you have a particular breed you want. You can search by breed, and it's all rescue dogs. And I know for people like me, it's very hard and very daunting to go to a shelter and have to look at all the dogs who need homes and only be able to take one. So on PetFinder, like you can pick the one you think would work for you, make an appointment to go meet it, 
see how it goes, and then you get your dog. Yeah, or cat or bunny. Or well, hamster. for other people, it's a dog for me. Yeah, I think you can even get, like, fish and lizards and stuff like yeah. that on Petfinder. Yeah, lot, there are lots of beings out there who could use a family. So I am going to be um, visiting some family and friends this weekend in Washington, D.C. It's going to be pretty fun. I'm going there to speak for the Animal Rights 2012 conference. I've never spoken that one before. But I was just thinking today about how kind people can be to one another. This particular um, conference, anybody who's in that area who wants to read about it, it's AR for Animal Rights 2012, AR2012.org. It's sponsored by an organization called FARM, Farm Animal Reform Movement. I think they have changed it now to Farm Animal Rights Movement used to be reform. Anyway, way back years and years ago when you were a tiny little girl and we had the big tragedy when your dad died, in about three or four days after that happened, I got a call from Alex Hershaft, who runs the farm organization, offering me a job. He said, if you want to come out to D.C., you can work here. We'll find you a place to live. And I didn't take him up on his offer, but... I always think about people in this movement, you know, sometimes people criticized, well, you, you guys like animals more than people. But my own experience has been that whenever I have needed anything, people who love animals love people real good. I think people who love animals always love people because loving animals is just a, the sort of next step, I think, of being compassionate. That could be. And it's also, you know, being vegan, it helps the environment. It could help world hunger if everyone became vegan. I think that's a pretty important you know, human rights. Yes, yes ma'am. And you had an interesting non-human being in your life this week, in addition to your two great dogs. I did. I had um, a, a temporary visitor, a crow, who I named Marcus. And my husband found Marcus in Marcus Garvey Park, where he got his name. And, uh, and he was suffering a bunch of neurological symptoms. He was seething and shaking and just really not doing well at all. And um, And so I came with a box and I brought him home and uh, put him in our flight cage. I, I called the Wild Bird Fund. They're a great organization here in the city. They have the only wildlife rehab in Manhattan. So it's a great organization on the west side. And I called them because I didn't know what was wrong with him. And I'm also not licensed yet to handle migratory birds. And a crow is a migratory bird. So uh, unfortunately, Marcus did not make it. And I talked to Wild Bird Fund later, and they'd had another crow with similar symptoms they thought had uh, West Nile virus, which I guess is very, very lethal to crows. Uh, So that was sad. Well, rest in peace, Marcus, and reincarnate as what an eagle. What can you be after a crow? Crows are pretty smart. I don't know. Is there a progression? I'm not sure. So why is an eagle better than a crow? I I was just thinking about somebody who soars. (laughs) Well, crows are incredible. Crows are considered the smartest of all of the birds. Yeah, I read. You, actually, you posted something was it on your blog or in your newsletter. Uh, on my blog, I posted a couple links to some crow information. My blog is uh, www.harlemfarm.blogspot.com. And yeah, crows are amazing. They use tools. They know how to like take a tool and alter it for their own use. That's really advanced. Yeah, that, that's pretty remarkable. And there was also the thing about how they recognize people. Yeah, they recognize and remember faces. And furthermore, they also teach future generations to learn the faces of people and birds that they know. So basically, if you make one crow mad, it's great, great grandchildren might come attack you one day. <laughs> so what, what was that old song? Be kind to your web-footed friends. A duck may be somebody's mother. Be there kind to all crows for your own good Absolutely. as well as because they're smart. And the very sad thing, when I picked up this crow, was his, uh, his mate was in the tree. Oh. Just, oh. just going crazy, watching me pack him up in a box and take him and just cawing and flapping and screeching. And oh. poor thing, I wish I could have explained what was going on. Whenever I hear a story of an individual creature with this kind of reaction, it makes so much sense that all God's creatures are put together very similarly in terms of not only being able to feel pain, but to feel emotion. 
And it's good. It's good to share those individual stories because when you talk about a species as a whole, I mean, we've all heard that most birds mate for life, and that's like, okay, all birds mate for life, love. It doesn't mean anything, but when you hear about one couple separated and, and how sad that is, oh, my, my, let's talk about something happy. I had a happy thing the other night. Okay. I met one of my readers, and she and her husband came all the way from Q-A-T-A-R. I think you pronounce that cutter. You do? Yes. I've always been saying it wrong then. I think most people do. Okay. But it was so interesting how she found me. This woman is an image consultant, fashion person, and she was writing a fashion column and just thought it might be interesting to write something about cruelty-free fashion. She's not a vegetarian. This was just an intellectual interest she had. So for the article, she found someone that I absolutely adore, Ginger Burr, who is an image consultant in Boston. Her site is totalimageconsultants.com. So she contacted Ginger, and it just so happened that I was the guest that evening on Ginger's podcast. And Lynette, the woman in Qatar Cutter, uh, found me. And we had a fabulous dinner at Candle 79, her husband and William and me. And I believe she's going to be coming in February to Main Street Vegan Academy. So I've had a student now from Australia, and now there'll be somebody coming from the Middle East. They're actually originally from South Africa. They live in the Middle East. So we're getting to be Main Street Vegan Academy International. There you go. Pretty cool. Now, the other, let's see, across the seas information that we have, we were asked to share with everybody the veganoption.org is doing podcasts from the Olympics. These are vegan podcasts. They're going to be talk, talking with the um, vegan registered dietitian and author, Sandra Hood, who carried the Olympic torch. They will be talking with uh, Pat and Lisa, who are keeping the Olympics supplied with veggie mints. You know, this is England. We need our mints. Um, and cover the Williams sisters, who are, are vegans and, and other vegan athletes that we want to cheer on. Cheer on and also update listeners on the use of animals in the opening ceremony. So if you're interested in all of this on-site veg-friendly Olympic information, you can go to theveganoption.org. And we'll post all the stuff on our blog at MainStreetVegan.net. We'll put the Olympic stuff. We'll put the image consultants, Adair's blog with the crow information, and, oh, recipe of the week. I picked this week, Adair, and I picked something raw. Okay. Okay, I expected you to go, ooh. I don't hate raw food. I just don't like it when they call it like a taco or a burger. Okay, then you'll really hate this. This is popcorn. This is raw cauliflower popcorn. But what you will like about it is it's got tons of nutritional yeast and it is mega cheesy. I do love nutritional yeast, but I wish they wouldn't call it popcorn. Why can't it just be seasoned, tasty cauliflower? Well, it could be. If you make it, you can call it cheesy, tasty cauliflower. So, all good, all good. So, what are you cooking tonight? Oh, gosh, I have no idea. Um, yeah, no idea. <laughs> Do you find that most nights you plan ahead or that you just open the fridge and let it inspire you? No, I never plan anything ahead. I just see what we have around. Mostly, we get our weekly delivery of, uh, of organic produce, so it's... It's often a matter of I have to, you know, use it all up within the week or it goes bad. So it's often, you know, okay, we have a whole lot of this chard. What what can I do with chard? So do you go online and look for recipes or do you just create something in your yeah, head? Yeah, online is great because there are so many vegetarian and vegan recipe websites. You can just Google, like, I have chard and potatoes and edamame. What can I make? You know, and, oh. and you will usually find some recipe that will make you know, one or two or all of those ingredients. That's a great way to look. I've never done that. I've looked for just something to do with chard, but to also get rid of the potatoes and the edamame in one fell swoop, that would be brilliant. Yeah, and I have an app on my phone, the uh, the Whole Foods app. Yes. 
which is pretty good. And on that, they have a bunch of recipes, and you can search by, you know, vegetarian, vegan, whatever your dietary preference is. And you can also enter uh, an ingredient that you want to use. Oh, that's, so that's handy too. Well, I just love going into the fridge or into the kitchen and saying, okay, this is what I have. What am I going to do with it? And I run into a little bit of trouble with my own true love because he'll always say, what are you making? And I'm thinking, it has no name. And if I name a lot of random ingredients, it doesn't sound good. So maybe if I do this thing you're talking about, it'll have a name. Or I could give it one of those Chinese restaurant names like Eleventh Happiness. Yeah, or just, you know, name a couple of the ingredients and then add saute or casserole or stew or something. How about deluxe, like the diner? Sure. Deluxe I, think del- I think deluxe is only if it comes with fries, though. Oh, <laughs> how about cauliflower popcorn? You know, if you want to call us and talk about cauliflower popcorn or whatever else your heart desires, we have a toll-free call-in number, and that is 888-558-6. Four eight nine again eight 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 five five eight six four eight nine and we would just love to talk to you. So we have an interesting guest who'll be coming on after the break. I've been really looking forward to this. You've looked through the book. Yeah, I looked through the book a little bit. Yeah, this is a very very interesting little bit of different take for us. Our guest will be Ruby Roth, who's the author of a couple of of kids books. And her latest is called Vegan is Love. You can find out more about that on her site, veganislove.com. Now, maybe you already saw Ruby because she got a lot of great media for her book back in April when it came out. She was featured on the Today Show, Fox, CNN, NBC with Vegan is Love, Having Heart, and Taking Action. This is a kid's book. It's a picture book. Ruby is an uh, artist as well as a, a writer and activist and, and former teacher. And her, her books have gotten a lot of attention. They're, they're sensitive, but they're frank in their advocacy of, of a vegan diet and, and lifestyle. Some people say they're too frank. It's going to yeah. be interesting when we <laughs> start talking with Ruby. graphic. As an adult, I, I felt they were a little intense. And I just feel, and the way I brought you up, perhaps wrongly, <laughs> was that this is what really goes on. You know, when you were teeny tiny, this is so much fun, we went to a mall, and you were very disturbed by what you saw somebody eating in a food court. You said, what is that that person's eating? And I said, that is a dead pig. You said, I know it's dead pig but what's that wrapped around the dead pig because you had not seen a hot dog roll or a hot dog bun I probably thought it was some other thing. <laughs> you probably did but the the um, finishing part of that story is that oh maybe four years later four or five years later you were still a kid but not an itty bitty I was interviewed for Time Magazine they, they did a piece called Vegetarians hit the fern bars. I don't even know what a fern bar is. It must have been big in the 80s. But they they talked to me for hours. And I thought I was going to be this major feature in Time magazine. Instead, it was a one-page article about every aspect of being vegetarian at that time. And at the very, very bottom of the page, there's this little paragraph where they, they tell the story of you saying, I know that's a dead pig, but what's that wrapped around the dead pig? So there you go. You've been quotable from day one. There you go. So with your dogs, I know they're really your children, and they're on a vegetarian diet, but yeah. um, you don't need to tell them about the ethical aspects except to keep Tala from catching somebody when she's outside. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, I saw a lot of the very graphic animal rights videos and stuff growing up because I traveled with you a lot to your conferences, but I don't know. I feel like as a child, just knowing that the living, breathing, you know, barnyard animal, the cow who goes moo, is what's on a burger. I feel like as a kid, that's enough. I don't mm. think kids need a big push to become vegan. It's yeah. more that we teach them, no, this is okay, this isn't really bad. No, hamburgers come from the hamburger tree or whatever. And I think that's 
makes it seem more okay. Well, this will be fascinating, getting you and Ruby together. She's raising a little girl. You were not all that long ago a little girl. Quite a while ago. Well, doesn't seem that long to me, but that's the way it is from the mother's perspective. So stay with us through the break coming up. We'll be back with our guest, Ruby Roth, and more of Main Street Vegan on Unity Online Radio, the voice of the awakening world. Unity Online Radio is affiliated with Unity, a nonprofit organization specializing in prayer, publishing, and spiritual education. If you enjoy our programming and would like to support this ministry, go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now to make a contribution. You can make a one-time or recurring monthly donation. Thank you. Hi, my name is Lynn Twist. I'm the author of The Soul of Money. If you're struggling right now with a financial crisis, I recommend going to www.unityfm and listening to our course about the soul of money and how to handle this in a way that brings out the deep spirituality that's available at this time. You know, a crisis is a terrible thing to waste. Join author Lynn Twist for The Blessing of the Financial Crisis. You'll learn new techniques to use the current economic situation to redefine your relationship with money. It's available now for immediate download at unity.fm in the video download section. Unity Online Radio is turning five this year, and we're throwing the biggest bash of all. A cruise to the Caribbean, November 10th through 17th, 2012. We'll celebrate in style aboard Holland America Line's Eurodam, with sunshine, fine dining, and a selection of island excursions at beautiful ports of call in the Eastern Caribbean. Plus, feed your spirit with music, message, and meditation. Your favorite host will be there, and we hope you join us too as we celebrate five years of spiritual programming at Unity Online Radio. For more information, go to www.unity.fm slash cruise. Listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria and Adair Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to like Victoria Moran, author on Facebook, and post your questions and comments. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan. I'm Victoria Moran. And I'm Adair Moran. And during the break, our lovely guest, Ruby Roth, has called in. We introduced her a bit prior to the break. I'll also let you know that she has degrees in art and American studies and for nearly a decade has researched and spoken publicly on animal agriculture, health, nutrition, and the benefits of a vegan diet. We're going to be talking about her new book, Vegan is Love, Her first book, That's Why We Don't Eat Animals, published in 2009, has been praised by celebrities, leading activists, and parents, as well as attacked by the likes of agribusiness executives. Oh, my goodness, Ruby, you seem like such a nice, beautiful person, and you get attacked a lot. How do you deal with that? Oh, you know, I think it's par for the course. I think we're um, it's both a – it's the privilege and the burden of – being um, in the forefront of introducing the mainstream to veganism. I think um, we get attacked, but we've, we have such a, um, an urgency to share what we know with the public. Um, it, it's all worth it for me. I would agree with you on that. So tell us your story. How did you discover veganism? Um, well, I think it's, 
interesting about animal products, and I think probably many listeners can relate, it was a complete blind spot in my life um, until a friend pointed out that my morals and values didn't match my eating habits. I mean, I was I had grandparents who were uh, survivors of the Holocaust, so I had a was raised with a sense of oppression and justice. I was raised on an organic tree farm in Hawaii. My mom was vegetarian. I was always interested in health and alternative healing. I majored in American studies and social justice and politics. Um, So you would think that I would have turned my own eyes to my own eating habits, but until I discovered what I was participating in, um, it was really at that moment that the cognitive dissonance between who I thought I was ethically and morally, and what I was consenting to by eating meat and dairy really changed me as a person. So it, it started as a health experiment and continued on into a lot of research. I love how often it starts as something else and morphs into something more or in addition to. Yeah. And it, it can go both ways. I have a, a school, Main Street Vegan Academy, that trains vegan lifestyle coaches. And it's so interesting when people apply and tell their stories. You know, sometimes they started with health and then they moved into the ethical or they started with ethical and realized they felt so much better. They wanted to feel even better. It's just cool to see how we can change and grow with this. Yeah, and I mean, it's related to so many issues and interests that people have whether it's energy or the environment or spirituality or yoga or uh, even labor and workers' rights, there can be um, any introduction into veganism through any of those um, venues. Yeah, I remember when I was 17 and was first introduced to yoga, it was just accepted that if you were going to do yoga, you were certainly going to be vegetarian and probably an egg-free vegetarian. And now that's kind of gotten lost in spandex and mirrors. (laughs) It's true, and and I think that's a a big issue, that people start to focus more on their personal freedom, spiritual freedom, and um, even though they think they're being ethical and moral, they forget to include all beings. So I see that a lot in, in yoga classes, actually. Yeah. So what inspired you to write books for kids? Well, I think that America has been chanting um, hope and change for a long time, but I personally believe more in um, people's agency, personal agency, than in begging the leaders to change the problems that they created in the first place. So from workers' rights to civil rights to women's rights, these movements were successful due to a a relatively small group of willful people um, who took our... Um, collective consciousness to a new level. So instead of worrying or occupying, I decided to write a book for a new generation of kids who are going to have to live, eat, and think differently if we're going to solve um, some of the most critical world problems. Yes. And I have watched the the TV clips, and anybody who wants to see those can go to veganislove.com and check out Ruby on the Today Show and CNN and elsewhere. And it just seemed, Ruby, like some of those people were very, very threatened by this book. So tell us what they said and why you think they said it and what your response would be. Well, yeah, the, in, during the media campaign, the book was called Controversial and Graphic. It even got called Propaganda. Um, a lot of people questioned if it was too scary um, a subject for children. And my response really was, if it's too scary to talk about it, then it's certainly too scary to eat it. Um, There's nothing in this book that a child doesn't already see on any given day walking through the grocery store um, or on cooking shows or on um, hunting shows on TV. So in this way, the, the controversy was really revealing because by calling my book scary, and most children disagree, by the way, Um, adults are admitting that what we do to animals is scary, but that they don't want their kids to know. So there's this willful ignorance, and I think people are imposing that ignorance on their children who actually care tremendously about animals and nature if they're allowed into the discussion. 
Now, the first that I heard about this book was um, it was actually on a, uh, a comedy podcast where they were basically kind of poking fun at it and saying, you know, can you believe how nutty these vegans are that they have this book that's so inappropriate for kids? Now, even if it is appropriate for kids, do you worry that the non-vegan community might see it as kind of like nutty or fanatical? Um, no, I think that there's nothing to be afraid of in this book. There's, it's just like any other subject um, where we talk about what people around the world do, how they live, how they eat, and their cultures. So I think if people are open to talking about recycling and switching off the lights and turning off the water faucets, then they should be opening, open to talking about you know, at least reducing our um, animal consumption. And you don't have to be vegan to make vegan choices. So there really should be no fear here. And I think where we come off as nutty, it's usually just people's knee-jerk reactions. Um, again, to a, a sense of urgency, I think, that vegans often feel to share what we know and help people, people we're talking to um, at the moment. So passion can sometimes come off. Um, I've heard it come off as self-righteousness or as nutty or as soft, you know, but um, I think that's more about the people who are name-calling than it is about the movement. That's interesting that you talk about it as almost a, a cultural uh, retrospective because you think about um, showing a, a child a National Geographic or something. You know, this is a very different culture. These are people who live very differently from the way that we live. And yet when you think about how animals are treated in our culture, this is a very bizarre culture. And most people are as unaware, perhaps more unaware, of what goes on with animals as they are with how somebody lives in tribal New Guinea. Yeah, that's right. And we put we put more thought into the toaster that we choose, um, usually than the food that goes into our bodies and feeds our actual cells. Um, so it's a very interesting dichotomy in America. It is that. Well, you touched on the nutrition, and one of the other criticisms that I heard people levying your way um, was about veganism being adequate for children. And I mean, certainly we've had experts on and dietitians and medical doctors and more of them scheduled who've addressed this. But it seems that if an adult wants to go vegan, people might say, well, you know, be careful. <laughs> I think the other people need to be more careful. But anyway, but if you're going to raise your child this way, which I did, a, a dare here as a lifelong vegan, I mean, you can get some flack. Yeah, that's right. And people are very protective, especially of their kids. But I think that is because that when most people think of veganism who aren't very familiar with it, they think that what we're talking about is the standard American diet minus meat and dairy, which leaves nothing upon nothing. So when you actually take the time to look into the vegan pyramid and all that it has to offer, there are actually recommendations there for um, not only macronutrients, but micronutrients and phytochemicals and antioxidants that the majority of Americans are actually deficient in. I mean, B12 is not just a vegan issue. Um, a lot of meat eaters, a considerable amount of meat eaters aren't getting their B12 um, and vitamin D. So I think everyone can benefit by looking into this um, lifestyle. Well, I think that... Uh the raising vegan kids thing often gets bad press because of a few cases of really stupid people. Like there right. was a case a few years ago where those people wanted to feed their baby nothing but vegetable juice. And for a while it was, oh, vegan kids, they die. It's like, well, that didn't right. have to do with veganism. That had to do with, with stupid parents. Right. That's the psychotic parenting used in the, as an example of, of yeah. veganism. <laughs> and I think some people think that it's always like that. Right. When, when uh, Adair was growing up, I, I may have already told this story, one, once I sent her to preschool with the carrot juice just because I got up early and wanted to be super mom instead of sending the soy milk. You know, she had carrot juice. <laughs> and I got a note from the school that she was missing one of the food groups. And, you know, as a mom, this is it's very hurtful. 
Yeah, so, I mean, you should have you sent me with healthy chocolate milk like all the other kids. Well, that's true. Right. <laughs> God forbid you you have some vegetables. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, if you look at that pyramid and those food groups have been in our um, cultural uh, our cultural you know, what, our cultural language from the time that we're young. And if you look at who sponsors that food pyramid and um, what kind of meetings they have and what kind of money goes into getting your servings represented, um, I think if the American people knew the degree of collusion between um, the USDA, the FDA, and the pharmaceutical companies, then really the outrage would be directed at the industries and not... Um, at parents sending kids, you know, to school with carrot juice. This is true. Our call-in number is 888-558-6489. If you have a question for Ruby Roth, author of Vegan is Love, you can find more about her and her work at veganislove.com. So do you think, Ruby, that this collusion with the industries is behind mainstream nutritionists and, and doctors' cautionary views on veganism? Yes, absolutely. I think every time I've run into opposition to veganism, um, and especially during my campaign opposition to my book, it generally, if you look into it, comes down to fear, ignorance, or industry collusion. Um, for example, there was a dietitian, um, conventional dietitian, who did a pretty negative review of my my book. It was very um, kind of paternalistic and cautionary, and you know, full of you have to be careful and deficiencies this and um, so on. And I looked into where she was schooled, and her um, degree program was accredited by the American Dietetic Association, who. If you look into that situation, they are, their sponsors um, run deep with Monsanto and Coca-Cola and pharmaceutical companies, major um, agricultural companies. So we can't expect conventional nutritionists or doctors um, to keep up with what's going on in veganism. And, you know, I was... Every time I went on the air, they would always um, they would always have some doctor or nutritionist or psychologist who, of course, was never vegan, give the other side. And um, my advice to listeners is, you know, you wouldn't take swimming lessons from someone who didn't never learn to swim successfully. So, pay more attention to the people who are successfully vegan themselves when you're looking into. Um, transitioning to veganism. That makes sense. I always get a laugh when I hear someone say how, well, veganism, you know, that isn't healthy long-term. You can't live that way long-term. I get to kind of snort and laugh and say, really? Because I I seem to be sitting here alive and well. And it's a dietary um, lifestyle that has been practiced for thousands of years um, throughout time and history from the ancient Essenes to Seventh-day Adventists and many Buddhists and Hindus, and the list goes on and on. So this is not new to history. It is just new to the mainstream. And there's somebody new who's doing it in your world. You have a six-year-old stepdaughter. Yes, she's seven now, born and raised vegan. Ah, and... We loved it, or I loved it, and Adair was saying, really? When she said on TV that her favorite food was kale? <laughs> I mean, she it really is. Like, she will choose cut-up apples and kale um, over so many other things. It's pretty amazing. And I think she's been I a great influence on, on her peers. I think that's so unusual, though, that you hear it on TV, and people go, well, that kid must have been coached. Like, no kid would ever say their favorite food was kale. Right, I got that too. Um, and especially, I think she was slightly intimidated. She had a giant camera and a giant light in her face, so she wasn't looking directly at the camera, which probably made a lot of people feel like she wasn't being sincere. But um, she's very strong in her views, um, even with family members, um, close family members that are on and off vegan. She sticks to it. And she's always given the choice. It's not like a hard rule that we have to enforce in this house. It's just the way we live, and 
Um, it's always up to her, but she always, 100% of the time, chooses vegan. That's so sweet. That's what people have said to me about Adair. Well, didn't she ever rebel? And I said, well, you know, kids always take some of your values and not the rest. We're very different people. But the values that she was brought up with that continue to make sense to her and work in her life, such as being vegan, she still does. And I'm very proud of that. Well, and, and rebelling by eating a burger, that wouldn't just hurt you. That would hurt a cow. Right. <laughs> this is true. Better to get a tattoo of uh, comedy and tragedy masks. Right. <laughs> That's cute. We have a break coming up, and we'll be back with more with our wonderful guest, Ruby Roth, and more of Main Street Vegan right after this. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. What is the secret to happiness? Why do bad things happen to good people? What is our purpose in life? What must I do to bring healing into my life? Join Reverend Paul Hasselbeck every Tuesday for a metaphysical romp. Explore fundamental unity principles put into action through real-life scenarios from people like you. Call him with your questions and spiritual challenges, and let Paul take you on a journey of profound personal understanding and transformation. That's Metaphysical Romp with Reverend Paul Hasselbeck every Tuesday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here are your hosts, Victoria and Adair. Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Ruby Roth, author of Vegan is Love. You can find out more about her and her work at veganislove.com. And you can find out more about Adair and me and Main Street Vegan at mainstreetvegan.net. Now, Ruby... You talk a lot in your book about choice, and in the trailer, you even mentioned democracy. Can you explain that a little more? Yeah. Um, this book is a children's book, um, but at its core, it's really about democracy, supply and demand, and engaging ourselves in the public realm. Um, if we look at the word politics, the root means um, city or citizen which is a good reminder that what goes on in the public world is determined by um, individuals making choices. So maybe, you know, more than even legislature. So I think um, that going vegan is one of the most patriotic American things we can do, and it's an embodiment of um, the characteristics that Americans have always um, prided ourselves on, independence and rugged individualism and self-reliance. I think that all goes hand-in-hand with veganism. I completely agree with you. I wrote something like that in in Main Street Vegan, and that was why I wanted it to be called Main Street Vegan so much. Mm. My publisher didn't like the title. We had this very dramatic event where Michael Moore had to talk them into letting me call it Main Street Vegan. (laughs) But it's true, and we are getting on Main Street 
which is so wonderful. I mean, we're no longer just Madison and, and Berkeley and Austin, which That's is right. a very cool thing. Yes. So beyond the food, you talk about zoos and circuses, and a lot of people are saying, eh, how do we know those are bad for animals? Um, well, I think that that's a big question because people don't always feel that they're so bad, you know, especially when they have um, or seemingly have programs for endangered species, um, which are usually more PR-driven than, um, than they are effective. But animals in confinement or entertainment situations often exhibit what are called stereotypies, which are those repetitive movements, the rocking, the swaying, even self-mutilation. Um, and I think if you've been to the zoo, most adults, I think, are aware of this or see it, and they just kind of ignore what's in front of their eyes. But um, these stereotypies are actually associated with schizophrenia. What happens um, to a traumatized animal or one that's been solitary or had lack of stimulation is that they develop um, extra dendrite growth in the seeking systems of the brain. So they're always missing something. And that dendrite growth is actually like a scar on the brain. And it is a sign of suffering and trauma and poor conditions. So I think, um, you know, while, while zoos and circuses and marine life parks talk about sensitizing people, to these animals, I believe that um, they actually do the opposite, that they desensitize us to the use and abuse of animals. I think that's true. I, we've, I felt bad in a way raising a dare that we had not gone to a zoo until, were you about 11 when we got to go to that zoo for an animal rights investigation? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> and, and circuses, too. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's just brutal. It's just brutal. And if people would give it a few moments and look into it, I think they would be shocked. And there's so many great alternatives now with all of the um, shelters and rescue farms for people to go and actually visit the animals and learn about the actual lives of those animals and not a representation of a wild animal that actually lives far away that we're not really learning anything about. I was just going to say, that's why I'm going to Africa in a week and a half. And, you know, it may be a lot more difficult and a lot more expensive, but that is the ultimate zoo. That is them living their real lives out in the real world, and that's what you really want to see. That's right. Yeah, that's pretty cool. There was a big rainstorm on Saturday, and my husband and I ducked into the Museum of Natural History <laughs> here in New York City, and he had to leave a room with taxidermied animals, even though I think this probably happened, I don't know, eight years ago that these animals were killed and stuffed. But sensitive people just don't like being around those who were killed before their time. It's a very, very sad thing. Creepy. And if it was like a tortoise or a parrot or something, you could have still been alive. They live a long time. (laughs) This is true. I was talking to my mother-in-law, um, and we were talking about how people people think that it's very depravative to not uh, allow a child to go to the zoo. Um, but she said when she was young, um, she hated the zoo and felt so sad about it, but she was surrounded, she said, by adults who were in denial. That's what she called them. Um, so I thought that was really interesting from a child's perspective. I mean, what does that say about our instincts um, and our natural compassion if a child feels upset by seeing caged animals. And I think you're right about the sanctuaries. Like you look, and I think just about every state in the U.S. has some kind of animal sanctuary in it nowadays. So there are places for kids to go and see animals, definitely. Plus online. I mean, it's not the same, but at least you get to know what creatures look like. Yeah. I mean, we have so much access at the tip of our fingers. And when you go to the zoo, the zookeepers, they don't really want you to know about the individual life of that giraffe or that elephant, where it came from, um, how it was traded, um, where they were shipped from, um, the diseases it has, the problems it has. So I think it's a much better alternative, and and it really encourages an authentic respect for the true lives of animals. If you go to a sanctuary where some animal has been rescued and a child can see 
Mm. What, what happens to animals and how we can help. We're going to have a great show next month where in one segment we're having a representative of a wildlife sanctuary for big cats in Colorado mm. and another who has a sanctuary for farmed animals. It started out to be just pot-bellied pigs and has now grown to be all kinds of farmed animals in West Virginia. So to just give these people a little attention, a little exposure, and find out about these creatures. Most of us never get the chance. And I love those animal sanctuaries now as an adult, and I'll bet that if we had we had gone to them more as a kid, that would have been really fun, because there you get to meet them and pet them. And Yeah, yeah and that I think was- that that kind of education lasts a lifetime. I think when, you know, if you, if you have that experience as a child, and then one day you're in Thailand, and you see elephant rides, something's going to click in your brain about how that may be wrong and how is it, in fact, that you can get a wild animal to do tricks? I mean, there's something wrong with that picture. So, you know, now we know if we look into those situations that that comes from actually breaking that wild animal um, when they're babies. And it's a tremendously violent and um, upsetting experience. And I think a lot of people don't realize an elephant... It's not like a dog, you know? A dog likes to learn to sit and get a treat. An elephant, it doesn't work that way. And I think a lot of people don't make that connection. Right. Well, I think if we start in childhood, then it can change our whole psychology as we grow um, with their respect for not only animals, but all life on Earth and our environment. This is so true. And there are wonderful non-animal circuses. I know we were talking at the break. Um, Adair's husband has a lot of circus skills. He was in an animal-free circus as a, a high school student. So he can do unicycling and juggling and all these wonderful circus skills. And everybody knows Cirque du Soleil. There's the Big Apple Circus in New York. They have animals. They do. I thought they only had stray dogs uh, who I like don't. learning tricks. I don't think they have big cats right now. Right now they have a, um, what, are, what are the giant rats? The um, capybara. They have a capybara. Oh, well, that's not and good. I have no idea how capybaras feel about being in showbiz, but I would guess not good. I would say not <laughs> good. Yeah. Oh, too bad. Okay, well, Cirque du Soleil and whatever else you can find. So in our last few minutes, Ruby, let us know what's going on with you, what's up next, and what do you want the world to know? I am working on another book for um, little, little kids, Uh, so that should be out next year, and um, people can check me out on my website, wedontneatanimals.com or veganislove.com goes to the same place. Um, I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, um, and if you want a print from the book, you can also contact me through the website for that. Oh, lovely. Some of those would be fun. (laughs) All the color for a little kid's room. Yeah. So if there was something that you could have learned as a child that you didn't learn until you were an adult, what would that have been? Hmm. Um, So many things. But I I think it goes back to um, just putting the dots together. So... Um, I I was raised in a very progressive family. Um, There certainly was attention on health, but I think if if there had been a teacher or somebody who had connected the dots, um, that the the chicken on my plate was actually a chicken, that would have made a huge difference in my life. But regardless, um, I found my path anyway. That is lovely. We're so glad that you did and you're helping other people find their path. So thank you so much for being with us. This has been such a great show. At least it felt that way to me. So thank the book you. is Vegan is Love. The other book is That's Why We Don't Eat Animals. And you can go to That's Why We Don't Eat Animals.com or veganislove.com and get more information. Thank you so, so very much. So Adair, next week we have another great show. We're going to be speaking with um, Matthew Mark Bronstein, who is somebody that I have known for over 30 years. He has been vegan longer than me, and that's a long time. He's been vegan since 1970. 
He's also, for our Unity listeners, an incredibly spiritual person. He had a serious accident on his 39th birthday, which left him paraplegic, and his goal was to be able to walk on crutches so that he could tell the hunters to get off his property. The doctor said, you will never, never do that. He said, watch me. And he is walking on crutches and getting the hunters off his property. Is that cool or what? That's very cool. Very cool. And his book is uh, Radical Vegetarianism. We'll be talking with him about sprouting and microgreens and all sorts of other fascinating topics one week from today. So check us out on MainStreetVegan.net. We'll put up some information from today's show on the blog. And we would love to hold you in our good thoughts and prayers that you have a wonderful, wonderful day today and eat your veggies. This is Victoria Moran. And this is Adair Moran. And we will be back next week with more Main Street Vegan on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. God bless. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria and Adair Moran entertain, educate, and inspire you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria and Adair or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. Have you heard about Dr. Tom Shepard's new program on Unity Online Radio? Tom Shepard, isn't he the Unity Magazine question and answer guy? Right. Well, they've actually turned him loose with a radio show, and I hear it's going to be pretty edgy. Edgy? Like what? Guest panelists and students from Unity Institute and Seminary. Topics like abortion, gay marriage, war and peace, environmental issues, Islamic fundamentalism, universal health care, religion and politics, current events. Yeah, but they'll all be Unity people, right? Dr. Tom and his students will talk about the hard questions facing all people today, sometimes joined by rabbis, priests, liberal and conservative ministers, Buddhist monks, Baha'is, Hindus. And he's going to interview them on the program? Better. He's going to introduce a controversial topic and let students and special guests go for it. This could get explosive. Does he have guys in black shirts standing by to break up the fights? (laughs) If I know Dr. Tom, he will keep it both friendly and spirited. Whoa, I gotta hear this. When and where? The program is called Let's Talk About It, and it's on every Thursday at 9 a.m. Central Time, only on Unity Online Radio. So let's talk about it. Definitely, let's. Inspiration only takes a moment. Reverend Dr. Thomas Shepard shares this from his book, Good Questions. We are here to learn, grow, experience, savor, exalt, cherish, create, and to use our connection with that mind to make safe decisions. We are here to share, to be fruitful, and to multiply the good over and over again. Centering on the divine within, we become still and realize that whatever happens, we are still one with God. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. The Unity message is universal, uniting, empowering, and transformational. Carrying this message to the world with the power of music and song are scores of singers and songwriters who dedicate their extraordinary gifts to helping heal the world and spread the message of unity and oneness. These are the messengers of unity. We 
Pazapalooza, music that matters, with host Richard McDesey, to hear the music and the artists who are changing the world, one song at a time. Fridays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, don't take your dreams lying down. <laughs>